You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Compass Real Estate, the region's largest and most dynamic real estate company in the Valley. For more information and to view current listings, visit compass.com. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. The reason I do this podcast is to share stories so we can all learn from each other. And during my reading, I like to find quotes to share with everybody which is how I'm going to begin today's episode. And today's quote is, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. And that's by Booker T. Washington. And if you haven't read Booker T. Washington's book, Up From Slavery, you can find it from on the Kindle, you can find it at your library. It's a book to bring great insight to you and to keep in mind Booker T. Washington's history and at the time, the era that uh, he wrote that as well. So I hope you find a copy and, and you enjoy it as much as I did when I read it a few years ago. And you are listening to episode number 220 of the Jackson Hole Connection. And today's guest is the wonderful and amazing Kate Shelby. Kate is passionate about education and learning right here in Teton County and around the globe. Kate is so committed to the local and global impact that she makes and brings to the organizations that she works with and volunteers that she volunteers over 200 hours a year while holding down a full-time job and taking classes for her own learning path and enjoying the beautiful Jackson Hole lifestyle. Let's just say Kate probably doesn't have many seconds of her days which are left to unimpactful or non-useful time. Kate dives into her work at Teton Behavioral Health here in the Valley, and she also speaks to the work she does with Girls Education International. Both of these organizations are organizations of impact, and they are improving the lives of their communities. And with Kate, who is an action-oriented individual. She brings ideas which turn out into results. Kate, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm delighted that you have time for us to sit down and have a, a little chat today. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Kate, I love hearing people's background of where they're born and raised. I think it's how I've started every single episode. And I'd love to hear where were you born and raised and how did you land here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Yeah, we all have our own stories. Um, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. And as a young girl, my dad had three weeks off for family vacation and we would get in the car and drive as far west as we could. And that frequently landed us here in the Tetons. I remember being eight years old and seeing the Howdy Stranger sign and telling my parents, 
I want to live here when I grow up. And then 10 days after I graduated from college, I moved here. So I made that dream come true. And that was uh, about 16 years ago. I've heard a few stories like that. People visiting. One person I interviewed, Rick Howe, he saw the Tetons with his family. They had a big summer vacation and he went home and drew it on their, on his wall with. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I had Teton inspired art that I did as, as a young child and in high school as well. And then I had the opportunity to work uh, in the park in the concessionaires when I was in college and then uh, needed to stay, knew that this place was calling to me. And where did you attend university and did you receive a, gr- a degree in a particular field? Yes, I attended Emory University, and my degree is in Spanish literature and Latin American history. And I ultimately decided to study Spanish because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I realized that if I had Spanish language skills, that I could apply that to anything. And that would also open up a world of other cultures and music and food and experiences if I could speak a a second language. And so that's what I chose to study. And it's served me well, but I must confess that my Spanish is rather rusty right now. Well, if there's any community that could help you sharpen that, it is this community for sure. Yes, indeed. And uh, one of my first jobs living in town was at Teton Literacy. And so I had an incredible opportunity to really use Spanish on a regular basis, but was often teased by the people that I was working with because I had studied abroad in Argentina. So I had acquired an Argentine accent, uh, which is very distinct in comparison to other Spanish-speaking countries. And as I imagine you know, many of the Latina population in our community come from Mexico. And so I frequently was asked, like, where did you learn Spanish? That's not how we say blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I had to switch my my accent to more of a Mexican accent to better communicate with the people I was interacting with. Like a kid from Mississippi speaking to somebody from Connecticut. <laughs> exactly. We can't understand each other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And you worked in the park when you first, during the summers, but then when you moved out here, you first worked in the park. So I worked in the park for one summer when I was in college. And Mm -hmm. then I worked in the park for the summer after I graduated college and met some dear friends there. And as soon as the season ended that October, I moved to town and started working for Teton Literacy. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Are you still working at Teton Literacy? No, that that was a long time ago. I worked for them in a variety of capacities over the years. Uh, was in AmeriCorps Vista there for for my first year. I taught ESL for K through six for some time. I worked in the family literacy program. Uh, I taught Spanish to adults. So I did a little bit of everything. But again, that was that was about fifteen years ago. And what occupies your time nowadays? Uh, Are you retired? <laughs> no, I'm not retired, but that looks really good if you ask me. Um, my parents are retired, and I think they're doing it really, really well. Uh, it's something to look forward to, that's for sure. My background is in education, so I've worked in a lot of settings of, of education, 
I have been a classroom teacher. I have been the director of a middle school. I've been a dean of students. I've overseen K-12 faculty training and operations, as well as risk management. And a lot of that has happened in this valley. So a lot of that was at uh, Teton Science Schools, where I worked for formerly known as Journey School, currently known as Mountain Academy. I also have worked as the Dean of Student at the Community School of Jackson Hall. And then I have some teaching experience at a charter school in North Carolina as well. And of course, my teaching experience in Tanzania. So my world has been education. I've taken a little step away from that recently. Last spring, I saw an ad in the paper. I think many of us that live here scan the classified just to know what's happening in our community. It's interesting to, to see. And I, I was looking at the classifieds and I saw a position of a backbone leader for the Teton Behavioral Health Alliance. And I thought that it was the most interesting position that I've ever seen in the classifieds. It was a new position with a new initiative that promised to be really engaging and unique and utilize different skills. And so whereas my background is not in behavioral health, I was really drawn to the position because of the impact that it can have on our community and recognizing that there are a lot of needs that ought to be addressed and really feeling like I want my legacy in this lifetime to be to have a positive impact on others. And so I applied to this position and went through a grueling interview process and was very honored to be offered this position. And so I currently work as the backbone leader of the Teton Behavioral Health Alliance, which is a new initiative of the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. And our work is to think about change at the system level to improve the behavioral health landscape in our community, to address the gaps and inequities that exist to benefit all who live and work in Teton County. That's a lot to keep up with. It is. It is really engaging and it is incredibly inspiring. I am amazed of the expertise and care and dedication that our stakeholders have. And when I say stakeholders, I'm talking about organizations, agencies, practices, executive directors, practitioners, as well as engaged community members. And I believe really firmly that, yes, there are problems in our current system. And I believe firmly that the solutions are local and that we have what we need here in this valley to make an incredible change to benefit everyone. I'm quite encouraged to hear that from you because <laughs> I, I think what happens is I lean towards the term mental health and you're using behavioral health. I, I'd be interested to know what is the change in using that and what's the difference? That's a great question. So behavioral health is used to be encompassing of both mental health and substance abuse disorders. Behavioral health is often used instead of the term mental health in order to reduce stigma around it, that, it, that we live in a culture where there's still a lot of stigma around mental health. And yet behavioral health feels more neutral in a lot of different ways. And so that was an intentional choice to use the term behavioral health. It sounds softer. 
That's an or, interesting perspective. Or more approachable. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point of mental health has that stigmatism. Exactly. Which is unfortunate that it does. I've spoken to Deidre before. She's been a guest on the podcast and it's it's a shame, especially with men. Yeah. So we are using the data from the behavioral health needs assessment that was conducted during the early days of COVID. And the data is there. We know what the problems are. Uh, and definitely that there is a need to support the men in our community uh, to reduce the stigma and increase access to care in many ways. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And you said this is an, an initiative from the Community Foundation, mm -hmm. but there are so many organizations and people that you, you referenced, you didn't call people out or organizations out in particular, with Teton Behavioral Health Alliance, how many different organizations as a whole is it bringing together? So now there's everybody's in the room. So instead of everybody walking their own path, now we can be helping clear the path together and, and accomplish more. That's a great way of putting it. So we currently have 22 individuals on the steering committee. And that is 22 individuals that have affiliations with various nonprofits and entities. So not just nonprofits that are working in the field of behavioral health, but we're using the collective impact framework. And so in this framework, the way I like to describe it is looking at a problem from a 365 perspective. So if we were to be addressing issues around water, we would want to make sure that we have ranchers and agriculture, that we have kayakers, that we have anglers, that we have water and waste, and that you have all of these different entities coming together that can provide different or maybe complementary perspectives on that topic of water. When we think about it related to behavioral health, we also want that 365 perspective. So we have the usual suspects. We have Teton Youth and Family Services. We have St. John's Health. We have Teton Public Health. We have the hospital. But we also have other organizations that are in health and human services. So we have Teton Literacy, uh, Climb Wyoming, 122. And then that expands out. The town of Jackson Hole is represented. The Chamber of Commerce is represented. We have representation from law enforcement as well. And so thinking about the fact that behavioral health impacts everyone in our community. So ultimately, we need to have perspective from all of these different entities in order to first and foremost fully understand the problems and second, start to develop those solutions and enact them together with a common agenda and that shared goal. Beautiful. It's I'm, exciting. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm sure you, you all will make a superb impact in the right ways to our community to have a healthier, more vibrant community. Exactly. That, that's our hope. Well, that's what you're working toward. <laughs> hope is just a term, but we, we, you got to put, put forth the work. You're right. You're right. And I appreciate you saying that. We had a two-hour meeting this morning for our steering committee meeting in terms of really defining our purpose, our vision, our mission, as well as our values and guiding principles. And the one thing that the group continues to go back to is that we are action-oriented, that yes, we convene 
the individuals who are affiliated with these organizations. We are coordinating efforts. Uh, the Alliance is facilitating meetings and events within the Alliance and the community. And all of this is through shared action that we don't want to just sit around and talk because we have lots of things to talk about. We really want to do the work and have outcomes that are measurable related to the data that we are using to inform our choices. See, you guys are doing more than hoping. <laughs> yes, you are right. I am hopeful and positive and action-oriented. All of those things are true at yes. the same time. We can be hopeful, mm -hmm. but still to accomplish what that hope is or that dream is we still have to take action a hundred percent yes and and kate with all of this work that you're doing with teton behavioral health alliance you're also the executive director of girls education international where do it you is, find the time it is true <laughs> i find the time because i prioritize it i have a former mentor who once told me that we live full and rich lives. And I have to tell you, at the time she told me this, the former head of school that I worked for, I was so offended and annoyed and wanted to not have as much on my plate. And I don't know if it's life experience or maturity or just different perspectives, but it is a thought process and a mentality that I embrace at this moment in my life of I live a full and rich life and that is by design and by choice. So yes, I have a full-time job that is engaging, demanding, inspiring, and has an impact on our community. And I volunteer over 200 hours a year for Girls Education International. And I do that because it is my passion project. And I believe that educating girls is the answer to make our futures brighter. That's a major volunteer commitment. I so appreciate what you've shared at this junction in our conversation today. And you said it very well because you've learned it. You find the time because you prioritize it. We all have the same amount of time every single day. It's what we do with it. And I also appreciate what you said. You live a full and rich life. You're doing a lot, but you're not feeling as though it's too much in any way or why me? This is you doing it because you're of your contribution and you see the rewards and the, the outcome of, of what happens. And, and that's what using our time and into areas that can make a difference that we have a passion for that then it, it doesn't really feel like work. Exactly. And it's a choice. In addition to these things, I also take classes. And so again, there are times where it, my life feels very busy and it's a lot to balance. And again, it goes back to a choice that these are values that I have, they're priorities that I have. And so I, I live those priorities with intention. And my work with Girls Education International not only feeds my soul because I believe in it so strongly, but there's a constant reward cycle in hearing the impact that we're having on the ground. Mm-hmm. You're throwing out some some big nuggets there, Kate. I appreciate it. <laughs> Another one, 
you live the priorities with intention. You're, you're intentional of your actions and, and how you spend your time. And I'm very curious to know about Girls Education International. Before the show, you talked about the barriers to girls in education and how important that is. Can we start small with that to begin with? For sure. And let me ground up first in what Girls Education International does. Um, So Girls Education International works to expand and support educational opportunities for underserved girls and women in remote and undeveloped regions of the world. And so what that looks like is that we work with community-led organizations to support the efforts that are already in place in local communities implemented by local experts in those areas to maximize their impact. So we currently partner with organizations, with two organizations, one in Tanzania and one in Pakistan. In Tanzania, we primarily support post-secondary education. And so what that looks like is our students have a choice as to uh, after they have finished secondary school, if they want to pursue vocational training. So that could be something like becoming an electrical engineer, becoming a tailor, learning the skills to become a secretary, or that can also mean university. So we have more students now in university than we've ever had in the past, which is absolutely exciting every single day. We have students studying to be nurses. We have students studying to become secondary educators. And so we are committed to supporting their terminal degree in what they choose, believing in that power of student choice. In Pakistan, we partner with an organization where our commitment to them is to provide safe and reliable transportation for 60 young girls to get to and from school safely. So within those 60 young students that we're working in, again, remote areas where some of the girls live 13 miles away from school. So if you live 13 miles away from school and you do not have a vehicle, and your culture prohibits you from riding a bicycle, that means you're walking 26 miles to get to and from school. In a culture and setting where it's generally not safe for young girls to be unaccompanied. So we provide that reliable transportation so that our young students can attend school, and that's ultimately increasing their school attendance, which there's a lot of evidence and data supporting the benefits of educating girls. So I wanted to frame the question about the barriers that girls face by thinking about what the work of Girls Education International does. Globally, the statistics are pretty similar regardless as to the geographic location. So the top 10 barriers, or maybe I won't go through all of them, but I'll, I'll highlight some, are early marriage, So thinking about if a young girl is married, generally in in various settings, as soon as she is engaged to be wed, she is no longer culturally allowed to go to school. So again, difference between legal and cultural or social, a lack of clean and private bathrooms. 
So thinking about the importance of menstrual hygiene and having access to a latrine that is private, having access to running water in order to maintain that sanitation, as well as privacy, being able to deal with bodily functions in a private setting. We also know that poverty is a huge impact. So recognizing that if family has to make a choice between sending a boy to school or sending a girl to school, they'll most likely choose sending the son to school over the daughter. And we've seen that time and time again. And so we work with our partners on the ground to address that and have made incredible headways on that. I talked a little bit about the distance of school and so addressing that with transportation. So we see all of these barriers to education in multiple settings. So our hope and intention is to address those barriers with our partners on the ground. Mm. Okay. I was at a Rotary presentation and they helped some people get a bicycle and it was for their mode of transportation and that helped them get their kids to school. And so, so much that we take for granted is are real barriers and challenges for some people to receive an education. And yeah, exactly. Okay. We're going to take a quick break to get a word from one of our sponsors. And we're going to come talk more about education and we'll see where the conversation goes. Okay, great. Thanks. Compass Real Estate is the market leader in Jackson Hole, providing every client with unparalleled professionalism, and breakthrough marketing strategies for fine properties. Their organization is comprised of dedicated and experienced real estate professionals, and they offer a collection of some of the most sought after properties in the Valley. For more information on buying or selling in Jackson Hole, visit compass.com or give them a call 307-733-6060. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle and join today. Kate, welcome back. I'm so blown away by your drive and enthusiasm with your work and your volunteerism and your commitment to continue learning as well. Because yes, as you said earlier in the show, education is so important to you. And with Girls Education, Girls Ed International, we were talking about the barriers and for girls to be educated. I'm looking at how you're focused on those rural, undeveloped areas in in some um, needy countries. There's so much out there. The world is so large. There's so many people in need. How does your organization zero in on these people? I mean, every person you're helping will make a difference. 
But how do you find these people in such a large, I mean, Pakistan is enormous population and it's got to have so many remote areas. That's a great question. I'll start by explaining that we don't serve everyone. Mm-hmm. And that is very, very hard. One of my many responsibilities as the executive director is to manage our inbox. And we regularly, daily get requests saying, my child, my daughter wants to go to school and we can't afford it. Can you please help? Or my agency supports young girls in this area. Can you please send funding? And it is really, really hard to regularly say no. In my dream world, if I had a magic wand, I would say yes to all of those requests. The power of having a mission statement, the power of having a strategic plan in place is providing our organization with very clear direction. And what we as an organization have decided is that we are committed to our current students and that we want to make sure that we serve those individuals to the best of our ability prior to taking on other community partners. And so this idea of we want to do what we're doing really well instead of doing a lot, just a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, So in terms of how do we find these individuals, there are different approaches both in our Tanzania and our Pakistan project, but there are commonalities. Again, it is the experts on the ground that are interacting with the students on a regular basis. So whether these are community organizers, whether they are school teachers, that our partners on the ground are developing relationships with the Department of Education, with their head of school, with the community members to really get a sense as to where's the greatest level of need and which students have the most potential to be positively impacted by this investment. And so that's not to say I am a firm believer that every individual in this world would benefit from access to high quality education. And we have a finite amount of resources at this moment, but I do believe in the power of an abundance mindset. And so really being mindful of, we are committed to these individuals, we are seeing them through, and we fully trust our partners on the ground. And let's use, say for example, Pakistan and how you're providing transportation. At what age would you begin working with a student? And if I hear you correctly, you're supporting that student through their entire education process that they need transportation. You're not saying, oh, you're now a certain age. You're no longer qualified. Is that how it works? Not 100%. Okay. Um, Our MOUs for Tanzania and Pakistan are different. So for Tanzania, our commitment is to support the student to their terminal degree mm-hmm. of their choosing. In Pakistan, we're supporting the 60 students for the duration of, I think, three years within their, their school system, which is different than the American system. And then at the end of those three years, we cycle back and incorporate new students. So we're not, in Pakistan, we're not providing transportation for the same individual in the equivalent of K through 12. We're providing 
transportation for that middle cohort, regardless as to who that individual is. Does that make sense? It, it does. I'm just curious what happens after the three years. So after the three years, the student is eligible to receive services from the partner organization that is Badari. And the intention is that with the support that's received in the in that time period, that they build capacity, that there's a evolution of the parental viewpoint. So maybe saying in the past, a parent might have said, I don't want my daughter to be educated. I want her to stay home and recognizing that there is change that ha that's happening on the ground. So in Pakistan during, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's, it's related to the work that we're doing in Pakistan. So during the early days of the pandemic, when schools were shut down in Pakistan, we were serving those 60 students. During lockdown, students were not attending school. At that time, 14 of our 60 students, and their ages about 9 to 16, were engaged to be married. Many, many of them against again? 14 of the 60. Whoa! And these are all younger than 18. Many of them were engaged against their will. The majority of them were engaged to men much older than them. And some of them were engaged to family members, so perhaps a direct cousin. We saw that, and that's a concern. You have 14 young women who are engaged to be married because of the social and cultural belief they were no longer permitted to attend school, even when schools opened after lockdown ended. And thinking about that number is real, and that is in our recent history. And to me, that really shows that there's still a lot of work to be done. The one thing that, well, there are many things that I love about our partner in Pakistan, but they are doing incredible work. So whereas we focus on the transportation, they are also doing self-growth workshops for young girls. They are advocating for policy change around child marriage. They combat gender-based violence. And so they have this comprehensive approach that is changing cultural and social beliefs at every level that is ultimately resulting in more girls attending school. So whereas that number 14 is really jarring, and even though I've said that number many times, it's still hard for me to wrap my head around, I am incredibly inspired that that number is only 14, whereas 5, 10, 15 years ago, I imagine that number would have been much higher. So we're on the right path, and I'm excited about the progress that we're making. I, I would imagine that because this partner that you're working with, partner organization, because you're helping fund these girls' transportation to school, then their resources that they have, they're able to use for some of those other items other topics that they need to advocate for on behalf of girls in Pakistan. Exactly. And and I'm curious to know if a dollar goes to your organization and it goes to help for transportation of girls in Pakistan, what's the impact? Great question. So for Pakistan, $10 provides safe and reliable transportation for one girl for one month. So 
I don't know if you've gone out to dinner in Jackson recently, but that is significantly less than dinner at most places in Jackson. Oh, everywhere. Right. We go to get dinner as a family and it's expensive. I mean, it's $100 for four people. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's a six month period that plus that somebody could get transportation. Mm -hmm. Now, what about in Tanzania where you're going to the term of, of their education, what's the graduation rate of the program that people go into in Tanzania? Great question. We have, our partner on the ground does what is called a study camp. And so these study camps are month-long experiences where our participants receive room and board as well as direct instruction seven days a week. So it is, imagine summer school on steroids. So the Tanzania school calendar is different than the U.S. calendar with one month long break in June and one month long break in December. And what we were realizing is that there were so many gaps in in education. Many of the rural schools are not fully staffed. So when I was living in Tanzania and volunteering for a school there, the school where I was volunteering had 500 students. I was the only teacher that was in walking distance of the school. And so during the rainy season, if the buses or the motorcycles could not physically get to the school and the infrastructure of roads was not very uh, developed in terms of what we would think of as roads in the United States. So there would often be times where I was the only teacher at school with there being 500 students. So what we were realizing is that For no fault of their own, these students had an incredible lack of content. And so our partner on the grounds, Project Wazesha, and Wazesha means empowerment in Swahili. Project Wazesha implemented these study camps, and they're month-long study camps where students receive instruction in the core subjects. They receive healthy meals, which again is not a guarantee at home. They have a safe place to sleep. And we saw incredible rates of success. Students passing their end of year exams, matriculating to the next level at higher rates than we had ever seen before. And we continue to see the benefit of that. A result of this study camp is that we now have more young women in university than we've ever had before. This coming school year, we will have 15 young women in university, which is just absolutely ecstatic. I am ecstatic about that. And they're studying a wide range of topics. And that, when we're talking about the dollar amount, what does that look like? Much like in the U.S., the cost of education is different depending on the school, if it's a public or private organization, if the student receives some type of government funding. Uh, But our total budget for that cohort is just shy of $40,000. When we think about the cost of education in the US, $40,000 is maybe one year at at a college or a university. And so thinking about $40,000 is one year for about 15 students in Tanzania. So thinking about the impact of an investment, that's a pretty high yield. And some private schools, primary schools cost $40,000 or half of that a year. That's true. And each person that you're making an impact to, 
I'm sh- I would imagine that what they bring back to their community to those because they're living in small towns, rural areas has to be noticeable. Exactly. So the ripple effect of educating a young girl is incredible. So we know that by a young girl staying in school, that she will most likely marry older. She will most likely delay having children. She will most likely have fewer children. Her health literacy will be higher. The health literacy of her children will be higher. She will increase her opportunity to earn her own income. So her financial status improves. The financial status of her family improves. And she will have a positive impact on her local economy because not only will she have a job, but she will also be spending money in that economy. One of the pieces about educating girls and the benefit of it that I think is really fascinating is that educating young girls is the number one way to reduce climate change. How is that related? (laughs) It seems like those two things are not related, and yet they are, and there's incredible data and research about this. And ultimately, we're looking at population growth. And so if we have women who are marrying later and having children later, we have a smaller population. And if we have increased health literacy, uh, resources are being used more widely. And so, again, this idea of, yes, sending money to support a scholarship for one individual student undoubtedly that is going to change her life. And then when we think about the ripple effect of all of those layers, how could we not invest in it? The the positive yield is tenfold. And, and so thinking about that is just really, really inspiring to me. It, it is inspiring, Kate. The work you do inspires me and the impact that you're making is very inspiring. And I feel very honored to have had this opportunity to speak with you and for you to share what you're doing out there. And we learn so much when we allow ourselves that time to, to hear what other people are doing to help others in need. Yeah. And I love that that's a theme of your podcast and all of the episodes that I've listened to that you continue to approach people with curiosity and recognizing that, you know, coming from this growth mindset, this is an opportunity. We can share, we can learn, we can grow together. And that we don't need to be in competition with each other, that we're just here to learn and grow and have a positive impact. So I appreciate you bringing that to light in all of your episodes. You're welcome. Thank you for for the kind compliment. Of course. I, I appreciate it. So if people would like to help you in your mission, how can they connect with you or reach out to your organization? So the best way to connect with me is through the email address for Girls Education International, and that is info at girlsed.org. Fabulous. I appreciate it, Kate. I hope that there are many people who are listening today who can realize that it doesn't take much to make an impact. And then when we're doing it together, our efforts are magnified. Exactly. 
Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about the CTEM Behavioral Health Alliance and my work with Girls Education International. I so appreciate the chance to get to share my passions with you and the listeners. You're very welcome, Kate. For somebody such as yourself, dedicate 200 hours of your time a year. It's moving. It's special. And it shows that with everything that we hear in the news or how we receive information. There's genuinely kind-hearted, caring people such as yourself who are making a difference in the world. And, and I appreciate that. Thanks for the compliment. You're welcome. Well, Kate, it was a delight to talk with you today and learn about your story. And I look forward to seeing you around town. Sounds good. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Have a good day, Kate. Bye-bye. You too. To learn more about Kate Shelby and her work here in town and beyond, Around the globe, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 220. Many thanks to everybody who helps keep this podcast on. Keep sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you to my wife, Laura, my boys, William and Lewis, and my editor and marketing director, Woohoo, Michael Morey. I appreciate you sharing your time with me today. And cheers till next week when I see you right back here for another episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.